Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Welcome back to another episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. So, I've been thinking a lot about secrecy lately, in the occult sense of the word. I'm a fairly open practitioner online, and I love to trade advice on witchcraft and share my methods with others. It's a huge part of why I love teaching witchcraft. I think we learn so much from each other. And at the same time, the more I teach, the more of my personal craft I keep to myself. There's a huge movement to bring witchcraft out of the shadows to support witches in being as open as they would like to be about their magic. I love this. I think that my spirituality is just as valid as any other spirituality, and I long to be accepted for who I am. Witchcraft and magic are obviously a very important part of my life, and I like being able to share that. I mean, hi, I create a podcast about it and write very openly about my own process. However, there's a reason witches cast in the dark. There's a reason we gather in secret or that we work on our own. One of the things I learned from a conversation with Johannes a couple episodes back is that within the tradition of Troll Dome, if you teach a student one of your troll formulas, they are no longer able to use that formula. So people will often talk about the theory of magic or methods of folk magic while they are teaching Troll Dome, but the specific words used in the spell remain a secret, unless and until the teacher wants to transmit that knowledge to the next generation. This was part of the inspiration behind this episode and is also the reason that I dug into this topic. So if you didn't listen to that episode, you might want a primer on what troll formulas are, just because they're a big part of the inspiration for this episode. So troll formulas are basically spells, but there is a spoken component to the spell. It is the words that are said, often whispered in secret or written down, that will activate the spell. Another thing that I have learned in talking with Minta Carlson of Needfire Apothecary is the idea that it takes time for magic to harden after it has been cast. In Troll Dome, Johannes refers to this as the hardening of the spell. There is a Swedish word for it, but I uh, cannot pronounce it at this time. You're not supposed to talk about the magic for at least a day after it has been cast. This has felt intuitively right for me for a long time, and I will even wait a day after writing things down in my magical record. Some practitioners of Trolldom will say that you might even want to wait three days before mentioning or thinking about the magic, just in case. So I think that there are a couple of interesting things happening here. We have the secrecy of the practitioner, the secrecy of the teacher, and then there's also this idea that kind of giving someone a troll formula means that you no longer have access to it. I think that when you are giving this formula, it's almost like you're transmitting that magic. It's no longer yours, it's that student's, if that makes sense. Now, I have not studied under Johannes uh, yet, but um, that is my closest understanding of what is happening in this folk tradition. 
So I think that when we're talking also about that hardening of the spells or the kind of fixing of the spells, um, that is really, really important uh, in terms of client work. So if you're doing magic for someone else, you need to give that magic time to work before you discuss any details of it. I always recommend when you do spell work to double check to see how effective it was. I keep a section of my magical record blank for me to come back and note down any results. If I'm doing really specific spell work, like a certain amount of money to make its way to me, then that is easy to track. However, it's also useful to track any synchronicities in your journal as well. So synchronicities are basically patterns or coincidences that give you an indication of what is happening with your magic. For example, if I'm working with Odin for a specific rite, and the next day I go to the brewery and one of the beers is named Old One-Eye, that's a pretty clear synchronicity that he is present in my life. It can be that dramatic or much subtler, depending on the working you performed or the spirits you're working with. When working magic for others, this can look like a quick chat with your client after the working has had time to do its thing, Um, Again, I'll repeat the number of at least three days. Or you could also perform energetic readings when you speak to them. Sometimes the client will reach out and tell you that the magic worked and will share the results with you. However, it is my belief in working magic for other people that it's important not to tell them what exactly I did for them. So you will want to check in with them, but you won't want to tell them the down and dirty details of the spell work that you did. I might tell them, yes, I worked some abundance magic for you, or I might talk about the kinds of magic I think will be effective, say, a candle for money, but unless there's a specific part of the spell work that they need to complete on their own, I will not tell them the full steps of the spell. This is a very important energetic boundary to me, and I think it's important for the client not to know the details. Part of this is because words and thoughts have power. If I tell a client what I did and it's a smaller spell than they were expecting, they might discount the ability of a small spell to get them what they need. Knowing exactly the working I did for them can also break the sort of confidence. It's a very don't look at the man behind the curtain issue to me. It takes a bit of the glamour out of it and may make it harder for the client to believe that the magic will work. This can essentially ruin the spell before it has had time to do its work. Another reason not to tell clients about spell work involves being polite with familiar spirits. So I have a spirit that I work with, but they are my spirit to work with. They have their own relationships and agendas that they will help me with my magic. If I were to tell a client, oh, you don't need to worry, my familiar is working on it for you, that is a breach of confidence between myself and the spirit. Obviously, I talk about working with a spirit, but I will never share their name, seal, what kind of work I'm doing with them, or anything else with anyone else unless we are in an established coven. Even then, I would need to consult my familiar before introducing them to anyone else. Of course, a lot of this secrecy doesn't apply to the spells that I write for public consumption. When I write spells for articles, like through the ritual guides that I write every month for the new and full moons on Patreon, I write spells that are intended to be customized by the person doing the working or that are generic enough to be done by many people at once. They might not even be spells, but rather recipes for magical oils or lists of correspondences or other things that will aid them in building their own working. 
I don't personally believe, at the time of this recording, that if I share a ritual or a spell in my ritual guides, that I am no longer able to use that spell or ritual. I am not intentionally kind of transitioning that spell to the general public. But I do believe that those spells then will work for anyone who reads them, and I will be careful to customize it when I do it for myself or when I repeat it. This is always a good approach because it's important to refresh spells or for the working that you're currently doing. They are more likely to work that way. But this is also important because it obscures your magical signature. All right, why would you want to do that? I don't care about obscuring my magical signature for healing work. If it is magic that is generally positive, I don't mind if people trace that back to me somehow. I don't mind if my friends know or get an energetic ping that I've done some magic to help them feel better or have prayed that they find a doctor who can help them with their healing process. With healing magic, it's sometimes even more helpful when people know that I have cast for them because they might believe in my power. However, if I'm doing political or baneful magic, it is best that others don't know that I have done that casting. One of the things that has felt very odd to me in the last four years of revolutionary magic making is how very often so many people are open that they're doing a specific ritual at a specific time. I feel a couple of ways about it. First, I think that the bind trump rituals that have gone around are designed to be done in large numbers. So the magic ricochets off of itself, building in intensity and cementing the intention of those who are doing the casting. I have nothing wrong with designing and sharing spells that are meant to be done by large groups of people or that um, kind of accumulate power the more times you repeat them, because there is definitely a place for them. And another thing that I will note is that uh, there are several ways that you can kind of adapt this and adapt public workings to sort of protect yourself. So when witches meet for a large public ritual at a specific time and place, the leaders of that ritual will often get there early to do extra consecration of the ritual practice, as well as some grounding and warding. This could look like a lot of things, but it usually looks like casting a protective circle as well as raising a cone of power. The cone of power is basically like a magical amplifier creating a more successful container for the magic to do its working when you are meeting with a bunch of other people. When the members of the public show up to, to the public ritual, they are welcomed into the circle and the warding that has already happened. However, these parts of the ritual are not a part of the public instructions for the rituals for reasons that I have talked about at length. With these large rituals, I worry often about counter magic. For example, if a witch who actually does support Trump sees all the other witches circulating the time and exact spell instructions for their binding magic, couldn't the Trump-supporting witch interfere? We know that there, there have been other interruptions of large group castings. In February 2017, a bunch of witches led by Michael Hughes showed up, showed up outside of Trump Tower to cast a binding spell. One Christian mystic showed up and shouted prayers and held up a mirror to reflect the magic back on the witches. Of course, the leaders of this ritual had likely done protection work ahead of time for the participants, but if there were mirror events happening across the country, the leaders of those rituals might not have done so and might not have known to cast the protective circles necessary. Activist magic has also fired up a lot of beginner witches who may not have a teacher or the experience to understand that they should be doing warding and protecting magic before these kinds of workings. 
And so in that case, when you don't include kind of a warning that you should protect yourself or a warning that you should set up a ward or something ahead of a big spell like this, then you're potentially exposing beginner witches to some intense energies that they are not ready for and not able to kind of handle. There are other examples of protection and healing magic, and they can also include like return to sender aspects that you don't want to open yourself up to. So for example, again, in 2018, the Miami Herald reported that a pastor spoke a sermon warning that witches were hexing the president and called for prayers and countermeasures to be taken. Another instance came from this year, even earlier in this month of November 2020. Paula White, a famous evangelical Christian uh, pastor, I guess I don't know her official um, spiritual leader status. Anyway, like Paula White is a, a very large name in evangelical circles. She went viral speaking in tongues and calling in angels to protect Trump. Of course, evangelicals would not necessarily call speaking in tongues witchcraft, but it is certainly energy work, and I do believe that prayer and other forms of energy work can interfere with witchcraft. I'll often describe witchcraft as a sort of ritualized prayer anyway. We're all working to connect with the divine. Yes, even people who are filled with hate who do that kind of energy work. They believe that they are tapping into the divine, even though they are filled with hate. And so they're directing that energy that way. So I don't want to make this episode into an argument about whose magic worked and whose magic didn't and, you know, this kind of era of very public revolutionary magic. That's not the point as far as I can see. The point is that when you broadcast the working you are doing, you give people the opportunity to interfere in that working. When people know exactly what you're doing, where you're doing it, and the purpose behind your craft, they can interfere. And those interferences might be detrimental to the spell work, or, well, they might fall flat and the spell prevails. It's not about personal power. It's about protecting the potential of your magic from interference, regardless of your power. I do magic because I want something to happen. That means that I will do everything in my power to ensure that I have things in order, that I am not interrupted, and that this spell will be effective and will be uninterrupted. Of course, secrecy can mean a lot of other things. It's important to have conversations with people you cast with about secrecy, for example, and what it means to them to be secretive about their workings. And for a lot of things, I mean, getting together to celebrate holidays or feast days, doing some mutual aid workings, other beneficial magic, um, it's not as necessary to be on the same page about secrecy. Those just feel like a part of life, integrated with your own magic, not separate from it, and they feel much less prone to something going wrong. A lot of this episode so far has been about secrecy and about how we protect the results of our magic. I also think it's important to provide some options for warding and self-protection in case you are one of those beginner witches who just, you know, kind of is coming across this concept for the first time and doesn't have a super great um, sense of warding. So basic warding and protection. Let's dive right in. There are many ways to protect yourself magically, and this is just a podcast episode, so it won't go as in-depth as I would like. There are full books written about protective magic, and I highly recommend that you check them out. 
Um, the book that I often refer to and that kind of got me really thinking about protective magic was The Witch's Shield by Christopher Penzak. Um, and I will talk about, I, I will link to that in the show notes. So it will be important for you to get really grounded when you do any kind of protection work. Tapping in to earth energy and asking for protection from the earth itself is essential. There are also a lot of other benefits to grounding and centering that don't have anything to do with protection. Grounding is one of the most important ways that I manage my anxiety, for example. So it has that magical purpose and it also has a very mundane purpose of helping me through the day. My favorite method of grounding is earthing, if it's available to you. This is a magical process of putting your feet on the ground and sinking into the earth consciously. Actually making contact with the earth, um, you know, taking off your shoes and socks and standing on, you know, the dirt outside is really beneficial, but you can also do kind of like a modified version of grounding on, you know, a floor if you're, if you have to be indoors. So basically you just kind of like sink into wherever you are standing or sitting and meditate on, you know, your connection to the earth for a few seconds. I will sometimes when I'm grounding, um, imagine my scattered energy coming back to me, slowly gathering it from the brink. If you can't go outside, I will imagine myself rooting down into the floor, my energy moving through the house or office or wherever I am and past the building's foundation into the earth. Um, a lot of protection magic is extremely connected to visualization, so it's important to get to a place where you are able to visualize safety and protection. Perhaps think about several different things that you are you know, what, what does safety mean to you? What does protection mean to you? Another really good alignment and grounding exercise is the cord to the earth exercise. So get comfortable in your seat or stand comfortably and tune into the earth beneath your feet. This can look like just noticing what it feels like and perhaps doing an energy scan. Now you will visualize a cord or roots growing out from the bottom of your feet. It will gently burrow into the earth, moving past the floorboards and foundation of your home and into the earth below. Imagine that cord reaching all the way to the center of the earth. Imagine that the earth sends a gentle, calm energy up the cord to your center. I also like to add an alignment with the heavens. I will raise my arms above my head. Imagine that my fingers lengthen and turn into branches. Reaching up toward the heavens, they reach into the clouds, and the clouds and the air will give me a gentle, energetic blessing, which goes straight down to my core. Other grounding exercises might look like a quick body scan. So, starting at your toes and working your way up, you will check in with each part of your body and gradually relax them. This is a great way to check in with where different energy might be impacting your body. If you would like to make this kind of body awareness a bigger part of your practice, I recommend checking out some yoga nidra meditations. So yoga nidra is not like what you would get if you go to a yoga class. Um, it is a specific kind of meditation that is meant to help you physically process what you've been going through, as well as to heal from any kind of trauma or stress. I love this kind of meditation, and I will often do it before bed because it puts me out like a light. Um, 
so this meditation often involves kind of like going into different, specifically different body parts on different sides of your body. And then they will kind of like change your focus in a lot of different ways. And it's really wonderful. But I'm getting a little bit far away from protection practices. So I will get myself back on track. The first kind of magical shield I learned was what I called the bubble method, for lack of a better term. When I do this, I will imagine that a bubble of light is shining out from my core. This light can be any color that feels good to you, though I often imagine a white light. The protective bubble will push out any energy that isn't yours as it gains strength. When you have covered a good area of your energetic field, imagine a cord coming out from the bottom of your feet. This cord can be any material, really. I often imagine that it is a vine or ivy for the protective earth energy that those things represent. Gradually, the cord will wrap around your body, sealing in that protective energy. When the cord has completely wrapped around your body and energetic field, you know that it's complete. Now you can work whatever magic you would like and feel that kind of safe, protective bubble. So this kind of shielding work can also be done in the morning before you leave your house or get down to the business of the day. I find that this is especially helpful um, to do in the morning if you are an empath or psychic and struggle to create healthy energetic boundaries with the people around you. This is something that witches like to refer to as psychic hygiene. Just like we need to clean our physical bodies, so too do we need to cleanse our psychic selves. Psychic cleanliness might feel a little out of line with the rest of this episode if you're new to these practices, but I assure you that this is an essential aspect of protection. If you take care of your own energetic field, you can more clearly understand when something that isn't yours has crossed into it. You'll have a better internal alarm system if anything does go wrong. The best advice that I can give you in terms of psychic cleanliness is to come up with a good routine that works for you, and then to vary the things that you do for psychic cleanliness so that you don't get into um, a rut with it. So the thing that has stuck with me most naturally is to practice psychic cleanliness in sync with the moon. The dark moon and new moon are both optimal times to practice psychic cleanliness. I will often take this time to burn incense and waft it through the home or make offerings to house spirits that protect the home or do a full house smoke cleansing. I've been working with chiarved, a resin-filled pine wand, or juniper. Both of these are bracing and will help release the energy. Um, They are also both traditional in Nordic folk magic. In terms of my own energetic sensitivity, I've noticed that both of these tools tend to help raise the energy a little bit, so they don't just like leave an energetic void, Um, they'll also kind of welcome in good things. Another thing that really helps me ground on a weekly basis is a salt bath. So salt is known for its cleansing and protection energy, and Epsom salts have the added benefit of helping me with my pain. I will also add some kind of blessed oil, whether that is my black tourmaline gemstone essence, a holy oil, an uncrossing oil, or any other kind of like magical anointment. Um, You can also add herbs like angelica root or lavender to the bath water for additional support. If you are in a particularly difficult situation in your day-to-day life, I would recommend doing the warding visualization and some form of cleansing regularly. The warding can happen in the morning and the smoke cleansing can happen in the evening when you get home. 
Another simple way of carrying protection with you is to anoint yourself with a protective oil. I will often just use holy oil, but during especially difficult times, I might use an uncrossing oil. There are different recipes for magical oils that come from different traditions of magic, so definitely look within your own tradition if you follow it, if you have a specific tradition. To anoint yourself with an oil, think about where you would like the most protection. I will often anoint the bottoms of my feet to help protect myself on the road, my hands to protect my work, and because they are often the first point of contact between me and the rest of the world, my third eye center, which is kind of the most psychic center of myself, over my heart, or the crown of my head. You can think about other areas that may need protection for specific reasons and anoint those as well. Though I will say, be wary of anointing your groin with an oil that might be absorbed by the mucous membrane and cause you some issues. You may want to speak some words of power as you anoint yourself, such as, I am protected from harm. This affirmation should be fairly broad and spoken in the present tense. You can also create a protection talisman to wear close to your skin. I don't have time in the scope of this podcast episode to talk about talismans and how to make one, but I might do another episode just on crafting talismans. The basic thing to do in this case is to create some kind of object and then charge it with protective energy. If you don't have the time to create an object, you could purchase a stone that is known for protective qualities, such as obsidian, black onyx, jet, or black tourmaline. Um, or you could fill a small bag with herbs and use those. I love angelica root, rue, lavender, agrimony, and hawthorn for this. If you're looking for a talisman or jewelry to wear that will aid in your protection, you can, of course, look for jewelry featuring protective stones. There are also several symbols that are known to be protective, and there are many witches who will create beautiful, unique pieces for you. So some of these protective symbols include pentacles, crosses, certain runes, a hexagram, Thor's hammer, and a triple knot or spiral. I would use runes like Algis, Hagalas, or Thurisas for protection, or an Aegis Yalmur, which is a magical stab from Iceland. These are all everyday instances of self-protection, but there are also rituals that you will want to do in the moment that will help protect your magic and yourself in the spiritual realm. There's also, of course, home wording, which I've alluded to but haven't spoken about in depth. We'll talk about that after a quick sponsor break. Welcome to the Swamp Witches! Swamp Witch Stephanie is an online magical herbal apothecary for all your darkest desires. Swamp Witch Stephanie started in 2018 with a line of anointing oils enchanted by the Swamp Queen herself. Stephanie has been studying the Western occult tradition, American folklore, British and American traditional witchcraft, and historical herbalism for over 10 years, and has brought her knowledge and expertise to each of these handcrafted all-natural oils. And this year, Swamp Witch Stephanie has launched a new line of ensorcelled skincare products. And she would know. Being the drag persona of Marcus Ironwood, Stephanie knows the importance of keeping your skin soft as a babe's bottom. 
Stephanie is ready to share her magic with Heathen's Journey listeners with 20% off your order at swampwitchstephanie.com. Just use the offer code HEATHEN for your discount. Keep it swampy. Needfire Wellness and Apothecary is committed to offering high-quality supplies, information, and learning experience for magic practitioners. The Needfire team believes that magic practice is an internally enriching and transformative endeavor that can look very different dependent on the practitioner. Needfire pays particular care to offering opportunities for learning and practicing Nordic folk magic and folk roots tradition. And I'm so thrilled about this personally, but Needfire Wellness recently expanded to offer an online esoteric apothecary, spellwork, and magical resource shop. I love them so much, and I am so excited to share that love with you. Head on over to needfirewellness.com and use code HEATHENJOURNEYPODDEN at checkout for 10% off your purchase of materials or classes. Again, the code is HEATHENJOURNEYPODDEN, P-O-D-D-E-N, for 10% off your purchase. Enjoy and make magic wildly. Welcome back. Let's start up with home warding. A big part of home warding is in cleansing the home before you set up wards. This is a pretty logical step. You don't want to trap any bad energy in with you and your loved ones. I usually crack a window when I'm cleansing my home so that the energy I want to get rid of has a place to go. This is appropriate no matter what method you're doing for home cleansing, whether that is a floor wash, smoke cleansing, ringing bells, or other methods. Think about cleansing your home in much the same way I talked about psychic cleanliness for yourself. I will often pass juniper or chierved smoke over myself, and it will take away the negative energy. Smoke cleansing your home follows the same principle. I also use magical baths often for cleansing myself, and you can do the same with your home. Pour a holy oil or any kind of protection oil in with your mop water when you go to wash your floors. Um, I use a refillable Swiffer mop and will put the cleansing oil or mist right in with the Swiffer water. This will also reinforce the cleansing of your home whenever you use the mop for practical cleaning. Speaking of practical cleaning, there is definitely something to be said for the magic of a clean home. Um, So you don't have to be a neat freak, of course. I know that we all kind of have our own methods and ways of being in our homes. But I do think that it is incredibly useful um, to think of like physically cleaning your home as also kind of clearing out some psychic debris or clutter. So this is coming to my mind for some reason, and I'm not entirely sure why, but in Howl's Moving Castle, yes, I'm going to talk about Miyazaki for just a minute. In Howl's Moving Castle, one of the first things that Sophie does when she gets there is to kind of clean the home from top to bottom, and this actually helps Calcifer, the fire spirit, um, do his job better because she sets up some systems that are helpful for him. So the same is kind of true in our own homes. Like when we have uh, systems that work for us or that are better for us, um, that is a very good uh, kind of first step to having a psychically clear space. So 
Um, moving on to warding. There are many different ways to ward your home, and it's up to you to decide what will work best in your situation. A part of that is figuring out the potential spaces where negative energy can come in. It's traditional to ward doorways and windowsills. This can look like a lot of things. For me, it looks like smearing some protective oil or perfume on the windowsills. You could also sprinkle salt, black salt, or any protective herb along your windowsills and in doorways. Another way of wording your home goes along with grounding. This is creating a grid of stones around your home. This could be protective crystals. I've seen black tourmaline or clear quartz used most often in this instance. Or it could just be rocks that are special to you. You will place a stone in the four corners of your home. For additional protection, you can place a stone in all corners of each of your rooms. I have also seen people place stones in every windowsill of the house rather than in the corners. It's just whichever will work the best for you. If you would like to word your home kind of more extensively energetically, one thing that you can do is a sort of energetic bubble, but for your home. This could look like stepping out into your yard and walking in a circle around your home, concentrating on protection while you do so. You might visualize a wall or a protective bubble coming up from the ground and protecting your home from harm. So this might look a lot like the uh, energetic bubble exercise that I talked about earlier in the podcast. Usually, it is traditional to walk three times around your property, focusing again on that protection. Another thing that you can do to protect your home is to plant protective uh, plants in your garden. Of course, in Minnesota, we, you know, have probably like six months where plants aren't really active. So that's never something that I have done, but it is definitely something that you can do. If you're interested in this, I would recommend researching hedgerows in um, England and the British Isles because the plants that were used in hedgerows were um, planted specifically for uh, protection and warding. So I think that that could be a really interesting way of doing it, especially if you have British heritage. Another thing that you can do is to create a talisman or talismans to ward off the negative things or anything that would harm you and leave a talisman in each of the doorways of your home. This should keep things that would harm you at bay, and when you feel the need, you can always recharge your talisman. So this next section of the podcast is really just a teaser of a future episode because magical circles are a very specific kind of magic, and honestly, I could go on and on. So magical circles will just have to get their own episode. Basically, magical circles are a way of protecting yourself at the same time that they raise energy and assist in the magic you're working. There are many methods of casting circles, but the basic idea is that you go through several steps to create a balanced ritual space, and by the end of the circle casting, you are in a new liminal reality that is separate from this reality. Casting circles will often call on the five elements or the spirits in charge of those elements. There can also be an aspect of casting circle that helps you ritualistically move into that different plane of reality where the magic will take place. So here again, we're kind of coming back to the themes that I talked about at the beginning of this episode, where I talked about um, 
you know, your magical signature kind of being uh, obscured or hidden. Um, it's my personal belief. So this is personal gnosis, not necessarily something that I've seen written down anywhere else, although it might be. Um, it is my personal belief that uh, when we create a magical circle, we are basically creating a ward around our own magical working. And so this will obscure any of the magic that you are kind of hoping to do, and it will sort of cloud that uh, energetic and magical signature so that others detect it less. Um, I also think that magical circles help you to get into the ritual mindset and help you to focus yourself on what you're doing. A huge part of casting magical circles is getting yourself into that like state and getting yourself into um, this space where you're like in the magical head mindset. Um, so they can be really, really helpful. I usually recommend when I'm working with students that they kind of cast circle fairly regularly for themselves because it is a really good exercise in, um, it is just such a good exercise in magic and understanding how energy feels as it's moving through your body. So there are, of course, some other rituals that I would like to mention here. Um, the most important ritual that I would like to mention is the uh, lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. So remember earlier in the podcast episode when I talked about how pentagrams and pentacles are protective energies. So the uh, lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram is a specific ritual um, that ceremonial magicians, I believe it comes from the Golden Dawn, but I'm not 100% clear on that in the moment. So this is a ritual that um, ceremonial magicians will conduct. Um, and it basically kind of like flushes negative energy out of the area and then raises your own power. Um, so I would definitely recommend looking into the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. Um, you call in several angels to help you in your guide. You can visualize yourself sort of towering over, you know, your city as a form of personal... Ooh, excuse me. I should edit that out, but I won't. You'll just hear me yawn. Um, so <laughs> the... Uh, yeah, so you will visualize yourself growing taller and taller and taller until you're kind of like towering over things. Um, and there are also several like specific steps that are taken in this form of ceremonial magic. I would recommend um, repeating this for like a week and just seeing how your energy shifts and changes. Of course, because angelic entities are being called in here and because, you know, the language is kind of old, um, this might not feel right for you intuitively. But I would also highly recommend, you know, just giving it a shot once to see like how it feels. Um, and then you can kind of base your other circle casting off of this. All right, so... I have been talking for a very, very long time. So what I think I'm going to do 
is um, I am going to wrap things up here. Um, There will be an episode on magic circles um, and creating sacred space later. Um, But for now, I think you have enough to get going. So in the words of Gandalf the Grey, keep it secret, keep it safe. Bye-bye. And that is it for today's episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. A huge thank you and shout out to all of my students and patrons for making this work available. If you want to become a patron and support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash northernlightswitch. I post full moon and new moon ritual guides, rune readings for each of the turning of the zodiac season, and so much more. If you would like to follow me in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at northern.lights.witch or on Twitter at northlightwitch. Until next time, stay weird. Thank you.